0: so uh, so as we, as we continue on, and if, if you want a little um, handbook, I, I don 't know if they're in the back. they were on one of our tables. Um, it 's got a little packet that, that says each of these. We have two more weeks to go, and uh, we told you already a little bit of a hint, and I just mentioned this reminder that we 're heading into a season that is often anything but simple, um, even if it's celebrated a lot and uh, the, the psalms the psalmist speaks of uh, of a desire that he has. And Psalm 86 is this beautiful passage Teach me your ways, O Lord, so that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, so that I may honor you. Grant me that, that prayer, grant me purity of heart, that I may honor you, is often um, the, the literal translation is an, give me an undivided heart. So maybe you've heard that before. Give me an undivided heart uh, so that I can honor you, follow you trust you. And this idea of undivided hearts is something that I think we can probably relate to. I, like, I love the imagery there because um, our hearts are kind of divided easily, aren't they? If we think about our heart as what we give our care to, our attention to, and we think about what, how easily our attention is divided, then all of a sudden we find like, oh wow, hmm, The invitation to have an undivided heart, Uh, you know, have you ever had like a cell phone in your hand and it buzzes when you are with someone and they say something that like was fairly important and you would have liked to hear, but you had no idea what they said and you don't know how to tell them that you weren't listening because you were actually looking down at your phone or thinking about who just texted you, right? We are, we, we become divided very easily within our own, our own selves, our own spirits um, like, the myth of multitasking, you know, this it's now been exposed. All the studies that are done say multitasking is not actually more efficient. You know, if you've got two tasks to do, doing them at the same time does not actually accomplish them quicker than giving each one its individual attention. Uh, and so, so, you know, we, we, we don't do well um, when we're divided. We do best when we're focused. And, and this was always the way, in the early... Um, formation of God's people. We've talked about this a lot um, in the Old Testament. The people wanted a king, said, We want to be like everybody else. God says, don't do that, please. Just trust me, let me be your leader. And they said, well, we'll let you be our leader, but we also want a king like everybody else. So uh, so God finally sighs, gives in and works with it, which is the story of the Old Testament. And then in the midst of this though, he says, let me let me explain something. So in Deuteronomy 17, and we're just gonna hit this briefly, he says, listen, if you're gonna have a king, please For crying out loud, here are the three prohibitions, all right? Your king is not allowed to to gather a lot of horses, not allowed to have a lot of gold and silver, and not allowed to accumulate a lot of wives. Yeah, we're just going to like have to just own it. This is one of the rules, which meant that the accumulation of wives was actually happening at the time, which is its own. Come to the women and... The Bible Life Seminar that we talk about. Uh, and we'll try to work through all of, all of the things that are horrifying um, from previous cultures. But anyways, what we've got here is the reasons that these things were offered. The reason that these prohibitions were given to the leaders of Israel was because, number one, if you gather a lot of horses, horses represent military might. And God's saying, listen, if you're divided by trusting your own power versus trusting my power, it's going to go poorly. Alright? And then you've got gold and silver. Gold and silver represented, obviously, wealth. And God is saying, listen, if you begin to accumulate wealth, you will start to trust in your own provision instead of my provision. Alright? And then the final thing is these, these wives. Alright? And, I mean, I think probably regardless of any single one of us in here can come up with a number of reasons of why this would possibly be problematic. But two in particular, number one, heirs are a major problem. If you have a bunch of wives and they give children, and the children are supposed to be the heirs. Who's the rightful one? Because we've already seen this happen. What if there's one that's more favored than the other? But the other thing is that the Israelites had an unfortunate practice of often um, gathering and and leaders gaining foreign wives, which would bring in idolatry and idols from their own religious backgrounds. And so really what God is saying is, don't accumulate all of these, these wives around you, kings, because... One, I, I would say for a million reasons, but one of them is that all of a sudden your allegiance to God will be in question because you will be influenced to move toward all of these other idols, okay? And so so all of it is really about disintegration of a life, right? It's all about a life that is not unified, a life that is has competing allegiances all through it. And so, so we get this story regularly through everything over and over. God's people are warned, don't have divided, distracted allegiances. It won't go well for you. Don't have these competing forces within you. Not because you're not supposed to, because rules are horrible like that. That's never, God never says something because you're not supposed to. There's always something deeper and more beautiful that you're missing out on. So it's never just, well, don't do that because um, it's bad. That's not how God works. God says, listen, I want it to go well for you and you will never experience the good life that God wants for you if you are constantly pulled in different directions that don't lead you in the same one. Um, You remember City City Slickers, any of you? That movie? Okay, yeah. So City Slickers is this old movie with Billy Crystal. Um, He's this kind of in the corporate world in big city, I think it's New York City, whatever, and his life starts falling apart and he goes out to this to this ranch for two weeks um, and he meets a guy named Curly and uh, just um, yes and here's the famous classic line I apologize if there's a small amount of content in this uh, how old clip 38, 39 yeah. you all come up here about the same age same problems spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope and then, and then you think two weeks up here will untie for you None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you gotta figure out. What's the one thing? As well, you've got to figure out. But if you do the one thing, nothing else matters. Jesus was a lot like Curly. Um, maybe in some ways more than others. But uh, but when God's people were struggling with all of these competing allegiances, Jesus came into the story. And when Jesus comes into the story, he comes into a world where power, wealth, religious adherence, status, and accumulation are all really, really, really. Um, have their, have their fingers in the hearts of, of God's people. And, and it was very complicated. Following religious rules, unbelievably complicated. Most sophisticated religion by far that's ever been established at the time. So, so what we have is we have Jesus coming in and Jesus helps people find the one thing. The one thing that matters. In the midst of their worried distractions, and logistical questions, how do we follow God faithfully? Jesus comes and Jesus' goal is to uncomplicate things. And we have to understand that this is this is really important. So so Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, and he's talking about all of the things that distract people over and over and over again. And he gives this comment and, he, and he, he's he's talking a little bit about how it how it roots itself in our lives in worry. Um, but, he, but he's actually talking about something much more broad in this entire process, and it's really about trust and singularity of focus. And he says, Don't worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, so this is the non, the non uh, God followers run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness first, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying to to all those who are listening, there's many things that distract us, but when you find the right singular focus, they fall into place. Spend your energy focused on the one thing that deserves energy and see what happens. Seek the kingdom of God first, and everything else gets simplified. Everything falls into place. He tells this story of what the kingdom of God is like um, in, uh, in Matthew 13. It's this one-sentence parable. And he says, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're interchangeably in the book of Matthew, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And a man finds it, and he gets so excited. And this isn't that rare of a thing. People would store uh, wealth in if they didn't want to, uh, to put it there were all these prohibitions about investment and stuff like that. We won't get into that. But it was not that uncommon that people would bury wealth. And sometimes someone would bury wealth, not talk about it, die, and then it's just there <laughs> to be found one day or to never be found. But, um, but there was this thing called a lift rule, which I don't know why you need to know this, but um, if something was found in a field, uh, whoever owned the field when the treasure was lifted out was who owned the treasure. Okay? So if you would find something, you would not want to take it out Because as soon as it's lifted out of the field, it belongs to whoever owns the field. So this guy hides it again. I'm not sure the point is, you know, his questionable ethics. That's not what what Jesus is saying. But this guy finds he stumbles upon this treasure. And he and he and he gets one glimpse at it. And he realizes that it's worth more than everything else. So he sells his car, he sells his boat, sells his house, cashes in his 401k. And he comes back and joyfully says, I want to buy this field. Because I have found this great treasure. And everything that I've ever owned doesn't compare to it. And this is, the, this is the glimpse that Jesus gives of the value of this thing that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. That if that is our, our focus, if that is our understanding of life, then everything else will fall into its correct alignment. doesn't mean everything will work out for us. That's baloney. That's never a promise of Jesus. Jesus promised I'll be with you. Not that I'll make everything easy. But... but the alignment of our hearts will work. And we will be able to walk through a complicated life if we have a simplicity of focus in this kingdom of God. So that's, that's kind of this, this idea. Um, but I love, I, I, I think we need to understand that what we have done often is we have taken, and I'm going to describe what this kingdom of God is, but, but we have taken this kingdom of God that Jesus says is a treasure, right? And, and we've, uh-oh, not great. And we have turned it into a task. Does that make sense? So we've taken this faithfulness of God, this idea that that, that when we set our eyes on Jesus, we experience this beautiful treasure. And and what we've done, though, is we've taken this, and we don't act like this very often. What we act like is it's a big, giant to-do list. One more thing on our busy plate. And we miss out the beauty and the joy and the simplicity of what Jesus is trying to point us to. Um, so everything else this is the treasure Jesus says that this guy's heart has been looking for and that's what the kingdom is so, so what is the kingdom though beyond imagery and something that's important uh, the kingdom of God according to Jesus makes a lot of sense when we think about it like this the kingdom of God is literally anywhere where Jesus or God is king right that's why wherever the rule and reign of God is happening that's where the kingdom is that's why Jesus says that the kingdom of God can be within you right right but also the kingdom of God is coming when justice and care and compassion and mercy are being shown in the world. Those are both signs of God's kingdom. Also, one day when God sets all things right, that'll be the kingdom coming in fullness, because God will be king. But anywhere where there is a world where God's way is leading, that's the kingdom of God, all right? So we can experience the kingdom of God within us, and we can work for the kingdom of God in the world. So, so, that's the idea. But again, what does that mean? Because every single Jewish person would have believed that they were trying to work for the kingdom of God following all the 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. So when Jesus is asked about this in a complicated reality where everyone's trying to do the kingdom of God, he simplifies once again. He said, what's most important when he's asked in Matthew 22? What's the greatest commandment? This is a question it's complicated. You would debate all the, day, all, all the time, all day long. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus takes the whole reality of everything, and he says, life has gotten too complicated. Seek first the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? The kingdom is where God is leading. And what does it mean when God is in charge? It means that you have a reality characterized by love. Simply put, as simple as that, this is the core characteristic of God's kingdom taking root. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We can't talk about this enough, friends. Like, we just can't. It's impossible to talk about enough enough about how when we understand that the kingdom is founded on the love of Jesus and love for others and us learning to love God, that that will be enough to lead us in wisdom for everything else. Um, a life of simplicity, and I decided, to to be honest, I I shared this with those of us that are praying before the gathering this morning. When I started, like, when we as a pastoral team, and, and when I was doing work on this, I found this topic to be incredibly complicated, because you can take simplicity in so many different ways. Are we talking about money? Are we talking about relationships? Are we talking about time? Are we talking about theology? Because all of these things are complicated in us. And so, so I feel like we can't really do justice to any of them if we talk about all of them. But if I only talk about one of them, then I'm leaving out a whole bunch of important things. So I have no solution. I'm just telling you that. It's just a little, little inside share. So you're going to have to figure out what to do with some of this. A life of simplicity, though, you know it when you see it. Don't you think? We know when we encounter people who seem to have enough of a singular focus that their lives seem uncomplicated. They're not rushed with us. They may or may not have money, but the way they think about it, talk about it, and approach it doesn't seem to have a hold on them. They seem to be not one who creates drama with other people, even though sometimes it hits them. <laughs> None of us can get away from that. But there is something about the state of their heart that seems to be on solid footing. And we can pick up on that. But it's, it's rare. And the only way that we can move toward a life that is characterized by the simplicity of Jesus that Jesus invites us to is, is to begin on the internal world. If you begin on the external world, you can try, but you'll quickly become legalistic right? If I say, you know what, I, and, and sometimes this can help, but if you say, I want to live simply, so I'm going to all of a sudden chop this out of my life, and I'm going to start sewing my own clothing, uh, which would be great, except I can't sew. But I have a wife that's a seamstress, so I've actually got an inroad there. But like, all of a sudden, then we start to look at everybody else and say, well, you're not living simply right? We can, we can quickly, if it's all about the external world, we can very quickly become judgmental and legalistic about our simplicity. However, if we begin with the internal world and come to root with something, then all of a sudden, whatever we do, it's allowed to look different from one person to another, and we'll be able to, to walk with integrity. And the, the issue here, um, the, the goal, we will never live a simple life of God's love if, if our identity is not in God that leads us to contentment. All right? If you are at peace with who you are and you have clarity about what matters and you have a sense of what the good life really is, then um, how does it affect you in those moments? If you have peace about who you are as God's child, if you have a sense of doing what you're meant to do, if you have a sense that God is your provider, how does it affect how you go about your days? How does it affect how you view stress? All of a sudden, those things are not the most important things in our lives. They don't divide our hearts because our heart is set. So all of a sudden, we have space for them to fall into their rightful places. Um, we have less to prove. We have left, less to protect, right? Um, so when, when we begin to start to be rooted in the fact that, that this is what is most important and that we are recipients of God's love and grace, regardless of our own effort, all of a sudden we start to walk around and say, oh my goodness, the things that I chase after and the things that worry me and the things that constantly bring me stress and complication do not have the last word. They don't have the, they don't have the last say. And then we begin to be able to express ourselves in fresh new ways. So we're going to just break this down in some really, really simple um, simple ideas about the, the various spots um, that if we are living a life of simplicity, we are free to become new people. Uh, and the first one is to give without hesitation. So when we think about a life that is founded in God's kingdom being first and foremost, um, all of a sudden, we begin to, uh, to not have to hold on to things the way that we used to. All right, uh, accumulation is one of the things that will rob us of a simple life. A couple of years ago, and again, these are examples. They're not the end-all be-all. But a couple of years ago, we talked about this and someone said, you know, I realized that um, we had this, uh, what's it called when you've got another thing, like it's a garage that you rent? Yeah, thank you. A storage thing. We had a storage rental unit. There we go. And, uh, And we were talking about this simplicity and we realized that we had not touched anything in the storage unit for five years, but we had to go there regularly and keep reorganizing it. And they said, we just realized, I don't know why we need this, and we just decided to give it all away. And we just donated the storage unit completely, and we walked away. And it felt so freeing. So, so freeing to give up something, right? So, like, accumulation robs us of the simple life. If, and, I, and I like accumulating more than I used to, unfortunately. When I was, like, 18, 19, I was like, I can live, you know, in a yurt. I could still live in a yurt. I really do like yurts, but... <laughs> But, like, I, I don't need anything. And now I have a nice mountain bike. I rotate my running shoes, right? You know, like, I, there are things that I really enjoy having. And if I'm not careful, keeping track of everything, making sure everything se- stays clean and organized, checking, all right, confession time. I do have a retirement account, thanks to, thanks to the church. Um, but there's a little app that you can check in on it. To be clear... This will not affect me for 25 years. And I find myself daily opening up the app. Sometime around lunchtime, I'm like, oh, I wonder how it did yesterday. Because up it, like, this is the most insane, stupid, distracting thing that any human could ever do. And we are addicted to this kind of stuff with all the different things that we can check every day that affects our lives no way, but it fills up our minds. And all of a sudden, I am less focused on the beauty and the joy of this present moment and of God's grace and of the fact that I have been created to love the world around me. So, I deleted the app, um, which, was, which was nice. It made me feel very self righteous. Makes no difference. It was easy. It was so easy. But, like, these, these are the things. So, Jesus says to his disciples, um, when this one guy comes, and he's, he's called the rich young ruler, but he's a man of wealth, and, and he comes and he says, What do I have to do? Jesus says, Obey the law, obey, obey the Torah. And the guy says, I have. And Jesus knows what's going on. So, he says, He says to this guy well then sell all you have and give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and then you'll be able to experience the good life eternal life life forever with god and the guy and the guy takes off and then he says this he says it's really really hard for someone to enter the kingdom of god if they are rich and and we take that and we totally misinterpret it what he's saying is that the dynamics of what happens when we accumulate make us less open to god's calling in the world not just that if you have a job that has good income, that that, all, that means somehow you're condemned. But, but what is happening here is this, in, is this reminder that, listen, the more you have... here, I, I think it's really important that we notice that this guy who, who is in the story, he would have been a faithful Jew, which meant that he would have given his alms as a part of the law. Okay? So he would have regularly had a practice of giving. But it clearly in no way was affecting his heart. In no way. So Jesus asks him to do something that feels like it would feel, (laughs) like it would feel like something. I know that I can live my life very comfortably and practice generosity toward others in a way that actually never, ever affects me in real life. And so if you want to know if you are able to live in contentment, if you are able to live a simple life, then one of the things is to give away money, but real money, real money. Money that makes you think and decide instead of saying, sure. And, and then we, we say, do, do we need a certain amount of accumulation all the time in our lives? Or are we actually able to live without money being our God? So there is an enormous, enormous implication of all of this. And the question here that we ask with, uh, with this first, with um, giving without hesitation is literally this. Again, we cannot turn this into a legalistic thing. So it's just this. How do I handle, or does how I handle my resources match the values of Jesus and his kingdom? If Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, then does how we handle our money, does how we handle our stuff, does it match those values? One of the things that I love that we have here that we don't talk about very much is a sharing list. And so we have, um, and I was supposed to I was supposed to give you some papers, but um, didn't get a chance to. Uh, you can easily find it. It's just lifepathchurch.org sharing, but it's a private link because it's got phone numbers and emails. Um, but you're all allowed because it's most of you that are on it. But what it is is it's this webpage that we have that literally says, here's what I have, gifts, skills, stuff that can be shared. I've got an extension ladder. Um, I can do marriage counseling. Um, I've lost a loved one and can talk about grief. Uh, you can use my power drill. Uh, I have a horse. I don't think anybody has a horse. Well, if you do, you haven't shared it. But, um, <laughs> but, but like, it's, it's this sort of idea that what we have, we have to share, and it is both to help one another out, but it's also to practice not holding so tight to things. Okay? So we have to ask these questions, Are how are we handling our resources? Okay, next one. This one's shorter. Uh, So, a a spirit of simplicity, it frees us to give without hesitation, where we, instead of just always thinking about, how is this going to affect me, we begin to think, how might this impact you? The second thing is to do without obligation, And, and this is a big deal, because our culture of busyness pushes us to spend time and energy on things that God neither cares about or is calling you to. Now, I'm not just talking about, like, work stuff. There's times that God cares about your rest and delight, but often we end up living in this way where so few of the things that we do with our time are things that we want to do. So few of the things that we do with our time are the things that we feel God has made us to do or invited us to do with our unique set of of gifts and skills. And so we miss opportunities to both move at a slower pace because we have so so much fluff in our schedules, so many things that we feel like we have to do out of obligation, so, so we're constantly distracted and we're busy and we haven't identified what, like Pam was saying, what brings us life the most or where God has wired me to, to love and serve the most. There are a million areas in the world to serve and they're all good, but they're not all the ones that God has called you to. And so, so we have to ask, does how I spend my time match the values of Jesus and his kingdom? Because so often we talk about all the things on our to-do list. What's on your, what's on your to-don't list this week? Like, take a moment. What do you not need to do this week that you've convinced yourself you need to do that actually is stopping you from having a singular focus of love in your life? Um, And then the final one, if we are rooted so deeply in Jesus... That Jesus defines who we are. His kingdom defines how we live. I like this one. You, you all, if you know me, you know I like this one. Um, this one is that we are freed to love without qualification. All right? When we are securing God's simple love for us and when we're committed to expressing it to others, we find less and less of a need to fix other people. We find less of a need to re- withhold kindness, right? To withhold kindness because you don't see eye to eye with somebody. So I'm going to withhold affection, withhold care, withhold kindness because you don't really deserve it enough. Um, Our our lives become simpler when we understand that Jesus calls us to love our neighbors and then clarifies that enemies are also our neighbors. (laughs) So, like, I love it. He's like, biggest idea ever, love your neighbors. Biggest idea ever, love your enemies. Biggest idea ever, I was just using neighbors to talk about humans. The whole point was that nobody gets left out. Um, It doesn't matter if we always agree. It doesn't matter if we think someone is deserving or enough. We value and we honor every single life, regardless of what side of a personal or international conflict they are on. You don't have to complicate this thing. When a Palestinian suffers, they deserve dignity and relief and compassion. When an Israeli suffers, they deserve dignity and relief and compassion. This is true in our families, in our workplaces, in our towns. Jesus has forgiven us and Jesus has empowered us to love and forgive others. If it's a person, your posture is love. It's as simple as that. Now granted, relationships are complicated. Geopolitical landscapes are complicated. Politics are complicated. But if our starting point is love, it changes the texture of how we approach any of this. If Jesus is at our center. And so, The question here um, is, do how I approach relationships match the values of Jesus and his kingdom? So giving without hesitation is about a simplicity of resources. Can I really hold things with an open hand? Truly. Doing without obligation is about simplicity of time. Loving without qualification is about a simplicity of relationships. Um. Even with all of this, though, friends, I know that you know this. Um, we uh, We can know it and we can still live with such overwhelming, complicated lives of consumption and religion and relationships. So, so this is why Jesus constantly is inviting us back over and over and over to relationships that are rooted and grounded in, in him. Uh, we joke about how we specialize in complicated at LifePath. That's like one of our things that we'll say, because a lot of people come in and they've been through a lot of church, we'll say baggage, junk, whatever. And, and I've heard people joke and say, well, we kind of specialize in complicated. But what we really mean is that we can walk together through all sorts of difficult and complicated life situations because of the simple commitment to love and follow Jesus together. That's how we can do complicated. Um, simplicity allows us to live well in a complicated world if we get it right. Um, I want to end with one other passage and how it relates to how we try to do church because I think that's a fourth category, but I'm not going to, I didn't come up with a good bullet for it. So there's this passage that, um, that uh, we have in 1 Corinthians 2, and I didn't put it on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth that, uh, that he helped to start, and he says, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the power, I'm sorry, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Except who Jesus is and the nature of self-giving, suffering, love. Okay? I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay? Some of you might be familiar with that passage. Now here's what we've done with the, with the sentence of uh, my message in preaching. We're not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We know that Paul was a good orator. And so, so what we say is, well, when Paul came to Corinth, what he did was he didn't rely on his impressive speaking, just on acts of power right, so on miracles, so that everyone would know it was God. Here's the problem. That's not actually what happened, and that's not how Paul had come to understand power, okay? So instead of Paul saying, listen, I didn't come with impressive words. I just sat back and said, zap, and all of a sudden there was these miracles, and, and, and all of a sudden everybody became convinced of the goodness of the gospel because of that. No, what Paul understands power as being, that he is clear about later in that same letter, is power is, looks like weakness, in a self-giving way of love. And and so for Paul, for him to come in and say, I didn't rely on on arguments. What I relied on is the self-giving, upside-down nature of God's power, which looks like humble care. This is what changed the world. I mean, by all means, more miracles. I'm all about that. But but. This reminder of I came to you simply is not about saying that we need more powerful miracles. It's about saying that we need more humility and we need more simple space for each other and we need more willingness to suffer and we need to embrace weakness better because Paul says the power of God is foolishness to other people, right? And so, so there's a simplicity here that Paul is trusting and it's beyond being impressive. So for us as a church, we, we want to take this to heart. We don't want to try to be slick at anything. It's just not our culture. It's not what we want to do and be. We don't want to be slick or impressive. What we want to be is authentic and humble and moving toward the self-giving, simple love of Jesus. It's as simple as that. The gospel is simple and hard, not complicated and easy. God's love is simple and hard to live. <laughs> easy to receive, hard to live. But the gospel is not complicated The fact that God loves you and says that you are worth dying for, that's not complicated. But we often complicate it because we lack the ability to receive the beauty of that. Um, So, this week, we are inviting you to find and rest in the simplicity of God's love and not actually get overburdened with all of the new tasks. But if you want, find a way to think about what does it look like for me to deeply move into a contentment with God enough that it changes how I think about my time, my resources, and my relationships, okay? Maybe it will mean that you simplify some stuff. Maybe it will mean that you give something away. Maybe it will mean that you apologize uh, in a relationship that has brought all sorts of complications because you know that you're right and you refuse to give an inch. I don't know. Maybe it'll look like cutting some things out of your schedule or adding the right things to it. Maybe look like turning off your stupid cell phone for just a few hours, right? Looking in the mirror, too. This is not things that I have a handle on fully. So I don't know what it looks like. Um, but when we come to Jesus first, our lives will eventually have a simplicity of spirit about them that will make us compelling to others and that will put our own hearts at rest. So, even in the table that we're about to share. There's a simplicity about saying, there's so much mystery, but I just want to come to Jesus every week, and I want to be reminded that Jesus gives himself to me, and we don't have to overcomplicate all of that. We just receive and remember that we are loved as children of God. So in just a moment, we'll actually share the table, and I want you to let it be a simple time of just receiving the love of God and saying, let this be enough to nourish me. Heading into the season, into the holiday season. So much stuff. So much talk of gifts during Christmas. They're not bad. But goodness gracious, they can be so, like, just the materialism of all of it can be so crazy. God wants to set us free from all of that and live a life of simplicity. Let's pray. Jesus, um, the the to-do list approach just doesn't seem to work with a truth like this. So, uh. I do pray that in these moments that whatever needs to stick with us and help shift us toward you, toward your kingdom, that's a treasure, not a task, that that would stay. And uh, anything else, any crippling guilt for not living simply enough would, would flow by and be released so that we could move toward you with love and not condemnation or legalism. Help us find our hope in you, Jesus. Amen.